Good afternoon and welcome to this, the EIC and OGV's Energy Pod. The EIC is delighted to have joined forces with OGV Energy to deliver a series of informative industry podcasts, which will discuss the important topics of the day that are impacting the energy industry here in the UK and globally. So about me, I'm Neil Golding, Director of Market Intelligence at the EIC with over 20 years experience of working across the energy sectors in a variety of different roles and your host for this pod. As ambitions of governments to reduce carbon dioxide emissions are made in this year of COP26 and targets are being announced by a number of countries, including the UK, to to drive towards net zero emissions by 2050, we've seen announcements made which will see the reduction of support for the wider oil and gas industry, both here in the UK and overseas. The impacts could potentially be felt by all involved in the sector. And during this podcast, we will explore and discuss what the future holds for the industry and the supply chain. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to today's guests for the podcast, my colleagues, Dr. Davina Danabalan, Senior Energy Analyst at the Energy Industries Council, and Rebecca Groundwater, External Affairs Manager at the Energy Industries Council. How are you both today? Good, thank you. Really good. Very, very warm today. <laughs> Summer has finally arrived in London, at least. Oh, gloves in Scotland. <laughs> Maybe not quite so where you are, Becca, in that case. So let's get on with the questions that we've, we've kind of spoken about beforehand. And before we try and tackle what the impacts of the withdrawal of support of the oil and gas industry might be, Can you both provide some clarity and details of what has been mentioned in the announcements made by the UK and Scottish governments to date? So, Rebecca, do you want to have a go at that first off? I can start. Yep. This um, in December last year, there was the government, the UK government announcement that um, they would put an end to overseas oil and gas projects with limited exceptions. And the UKF, the export credit agency who provides much of the funding around that, would be looking to redeploy the finances to the renewable and the clean energy growth. There was then a consultation period of a couple of months. The EIC responded to this consultation and the response then came out, which said that it would be the funding would be ceasing straight away. and giving some exemptions. These were around the uh, technical assistance and capital support, so energy or emissions efficiency, health, safety, social, environmental improvements, or energy market reform. There are exemptions around the decommissioning of existing fossil fuel energy assets, around gas power and directly related infrastructure, and the conditions for doing so. There are exemptions around standalone generators and liquid petroleum gas for cooking and heating. And also the last one was the carbon capture storage or CCUS projects. So there are some limited exemptions around that. But in the main, overseas uh, funding and support has ceased. The Scottish government then at the beginning of 2021 brought out a document which essentially said the same. They then opened up the consultation Again, consultation response was very similar around this. And we are waiting to hear what their final list of exemptions will look like. But at the moment, they will probably mirror the UK government. 
So that's where we are on the policy headlines. Okay, so I think um, if I'll touch on a few points of what Becca said. Um, so I guess to sort of define under the current government guidelines what is sort of um, not in scope for them in terms of support. Um, I guess they define the fossil fuel sector overseas as extraction, production, transportation, refining and marketing of crude oil, natural gas or thermal coal, as well as any fossil fuel fired power plants. Plus, as Becca mentioned, there are some exemptions for CCUS as part of the government's policy. However, if the utilisation element is for enhanced oil recovery, enhanced gas recovery or coal bed methane, the UK government is not going to support that. Um, under its current policy, UK government is no longer providing uh, new direct financing or promotional support for the fossil fuel sector in general overseas. And for this purpose is so that it can support, uh, of course, clean energy exports uh, as part of its pathway towards um, becoming net zero by 2050. And in Scotland's case, I think they're attempting to become uh, net zero by 2045. So essentially, uh, the rug has been pulled from underneath the oil and gas industry by the government, some might say. Well, I'm going to say it. I've said it. There you go. But are there any areas of oil and gas that can, will continue to have support from UK and Scottish governments? And if so, what kind of support will remain available to supply chain companies? So I think Becca touched on one portion, which was uh, UK upstream decommissioning. So that's still supported by the UK government, plus uh, within that, the reuse element. So I guess a little bit of clarity around that. The reuse element within decommissioning has to be from an oil and gas element into a non-fossil fuel related infrastructure. So, for instance, a depleted field into a CO2 storage site for CCUS purposes. Um, also, I think the petrochemical sector as well within downstream is set to remain untouched by the UK government announcement. So in both of these cases, all avenues of support are still available as normal from DIT, SDI and UK export finance. Uh, plus, while export support and financial aid ended for tier one EPC supporters in March of this year, uh, UK, EF, uh, DIT and SDI are all still prepared to support SMEs and supply chain companies wanting to export oil and gas services up until the end of March uh, 2022. And also another interesting area of support is training. So more specifically, the engagement of existing members of the oil and gas supply chain for the purposes of helping to uh, diversify them into non-oil and gas sectors like renewables and clean tech. I think also for for some of the, the markets where the UK supply chain export to the, the piece around the gas-fired power generation and directly related infrastructure is quite interesting. There are conditions there, so support for unabated gas-fired power generation and the exceptional support will be allowed if a country has a credible NDC and a long-term decarbonisation pathway to net zero by 2050, that the support does not delay or diminish the transition to renewables, that the risk of the asset being stranded has been assessed and managed, and that the project intends to follow best practice in environmental and social standards, including measures to minimise methane leakage. And I think that's quite interesting because that's the that's the ethical argument that I'm not going to stray into here. But around, you know, what what's right and fair for a G7 nation compared to what's right and fair in other nations um, who aren't yet there. Super stuff. Thank you both there. And, and so on this, the government have made the announcements. And there's been some publicity 
made around some of these announcements, both locally and nationally as well. But do you feel there has been enough engagement with the supply chain by government departments on what the changes are and what the impacts might be on these businesses? Rebecca. Oh, thank you. Um, I thought you would like that. <laughs> I, I, I don't believe so, no. And that's the feedback we've had from our members. We surveyed them very quickly after the announcement was made and the feedback was that they need time to transition. And we hear the talk of the just transition and how it's safeguarding jobs and people and economies and security of supply. But actually, th there is nothing in between. It's one or the other. But without that pipeline of other energy projects, what are these companies going to, to do to transition in the meantime? So had this announcement been done in conjunction with the supply chain and actively engaging with the members, um, and not just our members, but, you know, throughout the UK and saying what works for you, what would have come back was, a, well, we need we need time to transition and we need more support to do so. Work with us. That's OK. But to just like you said, Neil, pull the rug. Some feedback was that their, you know, that their businesses are now, well, what, what do they do? They were relying on that project. And it's um, it's not a good time for the supply chain to be doing things like that. Uh, no. Again, pulling the maybe not the right terminology <laughs> that we should be using, and these opinions are perhaps our own and not necessarily those of the views of the Energy Industries Council. I think we should potentially add here as well. Um, so what does all this mean for the future of the oil and gas industry in the UK and, and Davina, specifically the UKCS? Well, it's a really interesting question, I think. And actually, I think around this point, uh, the vision for the future of the UKCS was actually, I think, laid out quite nicely, I guess, in terms of the overarching picture, rather than, I guess, the minutiae of everything in the North Sea transition deal, which was released by the government in March of this year. So it basically states that it's going to be worth like between 14 to 16 billion pounds, of which up to 3 billion pounds will be earmarked for spend on early stage studies into offshore platform electrification, and also another 3 billion pounds on the development of CCUS, for instance, and then up to 10 billion pounds on the development of hydrogen. Um, so I think from this, it seems that the UK domestic oil and gas industry is still going to be there, and the government are making provisions for this in the short to medium term during the energy transition. However, I think the emphasis is going to be more around decarbonisation, decommissioning and reuse of existing assets rather than new oil and gas exploration. Although even that the government has actually acknowledged is still needed for the energy transition to occur while they diversify away. So, so anything from your perspective, Becca, that you feel that might be in, we might see impacting the industry here in the UK? Anything further? <laughs> a caveat with all views, my own, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I just, I think um, this is a, a journey and it is that road to net zero and the, the road to COP and I understand and, you know, we, we need to meet these targets. I don't think there's any disagreement that, that these need to be done, but I, I think it needs to be done sympathetically across the whole industry. And that's the entirety of the energy industry. It's not one section or another. It's, it's how do you take them all with you and do it in a way 
that is competitive and allows the market to grow and adapt at a reasonable timescale. So let's now move to the export support side of things and following the announcements made by government on the removal of support for the oil and gas industry. What might the impact be on UK and Scottish companies that previously utilised the services provided by DIT and SDI? Is there anyone there that can perhaps provide that kind of support to those companies in delivering some of the services previously provided? Becca? I mean, obviously, that supports... um, the regional offices for the EIC do, um, you know, on the ground. And I think it's that on the ground piece that's so important. You you have the representation there, you have the links, and you know the markets. But the the key thing is that the data that the EIC have as well. So from, and Neil, you'll be able to, to help me out here, but over the last five years, I think it was not only 15% of the UK's energy supply chain of companies that the EIC surveyed, had chosen development of new export markets as their primary growth strategy. So therefore, if you're looking at how to help build that, then you want people on the ground with those links and the knowledge around the energy industry. And I think that's where the connections and the networking and the the, the kind of intergovernmental play comes into account here with the EIC. And Davina? Anything further to add on this side of things in terms of that additional support that might be available? What about Chambers of Commerce? Are they also organisations that can provide and support specific to oil and gas? So I think this kind of ties back into the whole question that you asked before about how much has been made, I sort of, I guess, public by the government as to what forms of support are available to to the supply chain. And I think there is a lot of confusion at the moment from not just the tier ones, but also the SMEs and the general supply chain as to exactly what support is available. And even within government departments, dare I say, there's confusion as to what they can and can't do in terms of support for different size companies. Um, I think in general that if you just look at it into two categories, like the tier ones will be absolutely fine because they are they have more liquidity than the average SME or supply chain. And also they already have a global footprint in general. So that provides them more flexibility. But for the SMEs and supply chain companies, this could this removal of support could potentially have quite a negative impact, especially post-March 2022, because I guess in terms of UK export finance, financing options in the past, they've been quite necessary for overcoming the higher upfront capital expenditure costs and risks associated with overseas projects. And of course, we had DIT who provided OMIS and market introductory services and got you connected within like foreign markets. So that too could potentially in future, if an SME wanted to grow their business in terms of export, could be quite challenging financially for them, especially in terms of time and personnel. So I think honestly that there are support that is available, like for us, for instance, uh, at the EIC, because we are energy agnostic, as we like to say. So we do still fully support oil and gas, as well as renewables and clean tech. And uh, we also have a global project database in EIC Datastream. We have analysts around the globe and regional offices, as Becca mentioned. So we are very willing to help on that front. Thank you ever so much, Davina and, and Becca, for that. And finally, given that the oil and gas industry will continue to see investment globally, 
how can we ensure that we don't lose supply chain expertise and that we ensure that we root the energy supply chain here in the UK and given all of the huge opportunities in the energy transition sectors, carbon capture, hydrogen, offshore wind, all with synergies and oil and gas. That's enough, right, to keep the companies busy here? Davina? You would have thought so, I think. However, I think this sort of plays back into the clarity element again. Um, a lot of companies, I think, especially the SMEs and the smaller companies, they, they're struggling to see the pipeline in place for some of these larger scale projects, especially with regards to CCUS and hydrogen, because these, in terms of commercial scale for some of these projects, they are a decade out or more in terms of becoming commercially viable. Um, and also, I guess, in terms of support for the oil and gas supply chain in general, we have seen the North Sea transitional deal rolled out. However, also, there's kind of a lack of clarity in that as to exactly what sort of support mechanisms are going to be in place to ensure this transition from, I guess, traditional supply chain companies. So I'm, I guess I'm just sort of waiting to see what happens <laughs> to sort of provide more clarity around that in future. So there's obviously clearly there uh, plenty of opportunity, plenty of business. But what you're saying is that some of those other markets, the targets are huge, they're vast. Mm -hmm. But the opportunities aren't going to be here and now. No, exactly. The bulk of the supply chain, essentially, there is going to be maybe two, three years before there will be orders, in, which is essentially what companies need. Whereas that oil and gas industry, I guess, both here in the UK and globally, will continue to provide opportunities for the supply chain and, and hopefully keep companies ticking over, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I would certainly say so for the short to medium term. I mean, even the UK government has acknowledged oil and gas, especially domestically, isn't going anywhere at the moment. And there will be lower production, but yeah, still ticking over, definitely. Uh, and Becca, in terms of ensuring that we route the energy supply chain here, what more can be done? I think the supply chain needs confidence. And Davina, this goes back to what you were just saying around the clarity. It's this overarching ambition and the headlines are great, but actually where's the clarity on what it means? And how do all of these energy systems interlink, do they? Have they, are, are the different government departments and organisations actually speaking to one another? Or have we all become so siloed in terms of just how, how much work is there that you... And is this a COVID thing? We've also, we've almost lost that the water cooler chat. So who you know where are things going? And that's where what I think is quite exciting is um, recently the EIC announced the, the the task force, so the UK Supply Chain Energy Task Force, which is chaired by ministers from both DIT and Bays, and it's bringing all of the energy systems into one room around one table with the likes of UKEF and with the, the Scottish and the Welsh and, you know, UK representation and looking at where the gaps are. Are there gaps? You know, first of all, are there gaps? Or is it something that CCUS is doing that actually, you know, a, a different energy system can learn from? Are, first of all, can we share? What can we do to enhance 
and push for, for more meaningful policy implementation and development because it shouldn't be done in silos. It should be done together because the supply chain does diversify and they are diversifying. We know they are, and it's, but it's not necessarily into other energy markets. So how to keep them here? Well, you need to listen to them. And also I, I get the, the supply chain. It's, it's not one thing. There's so many different systems within that. And I think sometimes that's lost as well, unless you're sort of in it properly. What is a supply chain and what a tier one might need will be completely different to a, a smaller SME. And it's tweaking that as well. So until, and this is where I'm sorry, going back, the excitement around the task force is actually bringing it together and saying, no, let's make meaningful direction and let's highlight the good stuff that's been going on but let's also highlight where the gaps are and let's drive that forward so that we can all get to net zero and COP26 showcasing the best of the UK capability and what they can do and how that can be exported and not just to markets which are um, keen but also markets where we have the capability because yes you can transition in five years but how long does it take to become competitive in that market? And what, what timescales are we looking at? Let's do that journey with the company's voices. And that makes for a much more powerful statement in actually rooting and seeding those companies here in the UK. Thank you, Becca. And I know I said that was the final question, but you mentioned the supply chain energy task force group there. And, and this is a unique group of companies and organizations that come together. Can, can you just give a little bit more detail in terms of what some of the aims and objectives are and who those other participants are that are involved and how this will help the supply chain and possibly how the supply chain can get involved and have conversations with the likes of ourselves and other trade associations that are participating in that group. Um, because I think it is important for companies, the supply chain companies to be aware of this this particular group because it is for the benefit for the first time as far as we can see for the energy industry to be treated as one as a whole regardless of the energy sectors that you know respective trade associations represent yeah so the there's the ministerial the B, uh, dit and base representation ukf sdi and then as you can imagine, when looking at something like this, the potential for it to grow and just have huge numbers involved um, was there. What, in discussion with the government departments, what we wanted to do was try and keep it quite tight so that it could be action-led. And actually, you you pull in the people when you need their expertise. Um so there's a kind of a core steering group, which is, as I said, the government officials, and then you're going to make me go through the list, the NIA, NAMREC, Renewables UK, CCSA, Oil and Gas UK, EIC, and the Hydrogen Fuel Cell Association are the kind of the core key round the table. And that is because that, that decision was made because they cover within those groups, you, you cover off all the energy, the pieces. And yes, there is the, the regions, the clusters, the, you know, the, the different spaces there. But actually, 
you're better to work with them and engage them when they can be most powerful. So when their voice can be most powerfully used in the room. But what we do want this to be is a a two-way conversation and a continual one. It's that you you can only be action-led if you're actually engaging and sharing information and knowledge. And that's amongst the trade associations, not just their members. So there will be that feedback loop going of this is what we've done. This is what we're looking at. Give us your experience. Tell us what you're doing so we can showcase so that you you can come in and explain to the ministers yourselves what's going on. Um, And we've had some really good conversations around with supply chain members and some of the clusters and and different technology areas around how to do that and how to start developing that and bring that forward. So the first meeting will be towards the end of June. And then after that, the, the, um, the expectation is that we'll be focused on actions and that we'll look to highlight what's gone on either through LinkedIn website, you know, social media, um, and just make sure that, that people are aware. But if anybody wants to pick up on it, please do drop me a line after this and I'll, I can um, have a better chat with them about it. Thank you ever so much, Becca for that and thank you Davina as well uh, for your participation today and um, it's great to hear that the trade associations of course and your closing remarks there Becca around the fact that they're now working together and that we're not just thinking of this at a country scale sector by sector scale this we are looking at clusters as well this is participation by everyone for everyone this yes. is that's involved it across the energy sectors. So we are absolutely delighted to, to hear this news that it's got the government support, government backing and the buy-in from pretty much all of the relevant trade associations that are involved in the energy sectors as well. So again, Davina, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today and your thoughts and insight into the impact that removing support for oil and gas by governments and how that will impact the oil and gas supply chain. And that just leads me to say thank you all for listening to this edition of the EIC OGV Energy Pod. Goodbye.